Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the podcast where I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Casperson. Female leadership is crucial for the long-term success of fintech. Companies with more female executives are statistically more likely to outperform their counterparts. Decades of research have consistently shown us that women leaders bring about numerous benefits, from increased productivity and enhanced collaboration to inspiring organizational dedication and increased profitability, because we be getting that bag too. Despite these compelling advantages, the fintech sector still grapples with a gender imbalance. Globally, women make up less than 30% of the fintech workforce, with a mere 8% holding leadership roles, according to research conducted by Deloitte. Less than 2% receive funding. We all know that stat very well. This imbalance not only affects the industry's potential for innovation, but also highlights the pressing need for change. Today, we're diving into all these issues, exploring why diversity and female leadership is the driving force for fintech success, and hearing from these three remarkable women who are leading the way in this industry. So thank you all for joining me live at Money 2020 in the Money Pot podcast booth. There's a honeycomb above us in everything. With me is Sasha Pilch, principal at Fin Capital. We have Emma Zhang, founder and CEO of PactFi, and Catherine Petralia, co-founder of Keep Financial. Ladies, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so excited to be here. Okay, so this is Humans of Fintech, so I do like to start off with learning a little bit more about what inspired your journey into the fintech industry. And feel free to give me the TLDR, right? Like, what is it about fintech that made you say, this is my passion field and this is where I'm going to build? Catherine, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, that's. I've been in fintech since 1997. So yes. it wasn't called that then. And now you all know that I'm old. But <laughs> so I, I'll tell you, I think it's very accidental for me personally. I, I, was, I studied literature in graduate school. I was going to become an English professor. And then I got involved with this startup that was doing data compression, kind of like what Pied Piper does on Silicon Valley. But this was in 1995. Mm. And I was like, I'm never doing this graduate school thing. I'm not going to be a professor. I'm going to do this tech stuff. I really liked it. And a family friend of ours had been the CEO of Equifax for many years. And he was a very tech forward guy who actually automated the whole credit report industry. And I learned more about that business and that industry. And I don't know, I was just drawn to it. And I, Mm. you know, because of that connection, I felt comfortable and confident starting a company that was a fintech, you know, in 1999. And so that's, it went from there. I mean, a woman ahead of her time, I love and appreciate that. And as I've been building Fintech as Femme, it's something I think about a lot is is the women that whose shoulders we stand on, right, To, to be able to continue forward. Emma, for you, what was it about fintech? Yeah, actually, before I got into fintech, I was actually in investment banking. Mm. So, and I guess that sort of precedes the journey into fintech. But I got into banking mostly because I grew up with like a small family business. And so I was like really interested when I left school to understand more about different types of businesses. And investment banking is probably one of the best things you can do because you basically have to look at a number of different businesses, mostly at the larger scale in a number of different industries. And then I think the journey into fintech really kind of started with, you know, just looking at what we do day to day, money is kind of like a commodity product. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, it's very quantitative and it, it is like honestly a match made in heaven for technology, yet we utilize so little technology in the industry today. So I really wanted to do something that like put the two things together. But 
I guess at a conceptual level, like why I, I mean, I love kind of financial products. I'm like that person at the dinner party that is like, oh, you should get this card. Yeah. It's like really good for X, Y, Z reason. But I think it's like really interesting to me at a fundamental level because money is kind of like a medium. It's like a way of doing something that kind of permeates everything we do in terms of like Hackfire, what we do now, we mostly sell technology to large alternative asset managers. And in that sense, the money is being used to value things. And and if you think about that, that's mm. like a pretty deep kind of thing that yeah. yeah we're doing. Like how valuable mm. is this company? How valuable are these cash flows? Like, mm-hmm. All that sort of thing. Yeah, well, it's like making money something that is value in a very human way that is outside of like, it is just this thing that I have to have to reach my full potential or, or to do something in, in society that is more normalized. It's really transcending that taboo around money, right? When you mm-hmm. can actually speak about it in a way that is more human-centric, right? And, and more consu- almost consumer-centric, right? But so, Sasha, for you, what was it about fintech? Yeah, so I actually started my career straight out of university working for big banks in Australia, where I'm from. So Westpac and Commonwealth Bank of Australia, I uh, moved to London and worked at City and Royal Bank of Scotland. And after nine years of being inside these big banks and seeing how there were in- efficiencies to be gained, mm. etc., I got excited about switching to fintech. So I moved to New York on a whim and ended up getting a job at a fintech company called Quovo. So luckily it all worked out. <laughs> Fell into fintech, as, as we like to say. And For me, it's important to start off with those stories because I do want to emphasize to my audience, which is largely women entrepreneurs, women in fintech professionals, that there is no linear way to get into fintech. I I hear it all the time. You know, I I get messages on Instagram or social media from women who are like, hey, I love the newsletter. Do what degree do I need to be in fintech or what job do I need to get into the space? And I'm like, any, literally any, just like a true passion and interest into the field and you can do anything. You can land in marketing. You can land in the tech side and or, or engineering. It, it, it really is a place for all of us. So speaking on the note of you know my audience largely being women founders like you know like yourselves and investors, why is it from your perspective so crucial for women to see fintech as this worthwhile industry for entrepreneurship? Because we do need more founders and CEOs in the fintech space who are women. I think that fintech has this amazing power to democratize access to all kinds of things, not just basic financial services, but then growth, personal growth and and, and education. I think fintech is unique in that way. And we don't think about things like the ATM as being a fintech Mm -hmm. product, but it was. And it actually allowed people to have bank accounts and not keep money in their mattresses because they couldn't get to the bank when it was open. I feel like that's a great, people don't think about all the things that fintech Mm -hmm. has done to empower people. And I think women tend to care a lot about that. Women are very mission oriented. So I think for women who care about those kinds of things, there's such an opportunity to, you know, level the playing field for everyone. Yeah. Thoughts? So I actually feel that we need more female VCs if we're going to have more women in fintech and change that percentage from 2%. So that's one of the reasons that I moved into venture myself. So previously I worked at Quovo Plaid Ramp and Pinwheel, got asked all the time why there weren't enough female founders. Mm-hmm. And like there's lots of reasons, right? Like women have to have ba- women have babies. We can't change that. You know, 
2,000 years of history, et cetera. Mm. But something that's within our control is having more female investors around the decision-making table because then that will lead to more female founders getting approved in investment committee, more women Mm. on boards, and so it will continue. Mm. And also, I would add on to that, more women are going to be likely to come to you for funding because they're going to see a woman there. I think a lot of women don't want to make that approach because mm. they are concerned about or anxious about, you know, a male panel mm. making a decision, right? Mm. I mean, when you're building cabbage, is that how you felt when you were pitching and that type of thing? Did you feel like you could go to women VCs or was it still? Because I know there's still some discrepancies there. I have a funny story about that. We, um, we raised a lot of money because we had to. It was a capital-intensive business and we probably had been in 20 meetings, 30 meetings, when I walked into a room and a woman came in and she wasn't bringing me water. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you're in this meeting? <laughs> it, was, it was so amazing. It was the first one out of 20 or 30 oh meetings. So it didn't even occur to me because I yeah. never saw any women. Yeah. So, it, and this is in 2008, yes. 2009, you know, different, different times. Time. <laughs> different time. Yes. All right. Eva, for you. Yeah. So I think the way the question framed is really interesting. And I was talking about it with my co-founder, who is mm. also a woman. We're an all-women founding team. So we get this kind of like attention mm. a bunch. And I think it's like all the things like, you know, Catherine and, and Sasha just said, I think are, are relevant. But I do think that there is actually like a little bit of an issue with when people phrase the question as like, why don't women want to be in fintech? And I think it's actually more that women are gatekeep kept Mm -hmm. from being in fintech and like the fact that there aren't more of them is the problem not that they don't want to be there Mm. and that kind of that is not so different to like in general a lot of like where you see women kind of getting herded into sort of like lower paying industries and and all of that and and I think like this podcast we're going to like talk about that issue in general Mm. but yeah I do think like there is kind of this perception that like Oh, for some reason, like, women don't like Mm. finance or don't like fintech. But actually, I think it's more that they've been kept from it rather than that they don't want to be there. No, and I love that point because I'm I'm tired of someone who covers the space so heavily with the female lens. And I am tired of this narrative that, like, oh, well, women need to just, like, figure it out. They need to, like, go into rooms with the the VCs and and stick their chest out and and act like men and be more powerful and and do and be— you know, more confident. It's on you. Be more confident. Just figure it out. And it's like, yeah. excuse me, like what, like you said, 2,000 years of history, lifetimes of history. Like, can we not pretend like it's women, it's the women that are the problem? Let me repeat it, please, once more. Women are not the problem. Yeah. It is a system that is yeah. the problem and one that we have to transcend and in all of our roles are doing that. Yeah. So let me just be clear for all the women listening right now. Yeah. You are perfectly fine. Yeah. Be yourself. That is the best thing you can do, right? And then step into the roles that, frankly, you have always deserved to be in. And so, you know, I think, though, that takes a lifetime. It can take a lifetime mm-hmm. of, of mindset shift and change because we're the context we're given as women from, you know, birth until adulthood is so toxic, right? Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's going to take another 150 years. Yeah. That's what they're estimating. Right yeah, now. for gender equity. It's like... But I think there's a lot that we can be doing to accelerate that. And it's one of the reasons that I started NYC Fintech Women with the mission to connect, promote and empower women to advance their careers. Because I think a lot of it at the end of the day is who you know and who can help you open doors to get 
um, starting your own fintech company because you know someone from Experian and like things like that. So if you're not already a member of fintech women, it's free to join and always will be. So please join. Join communities. I mean, that's one thing, right? It's like be a part of resources, like get the resources you need to be the confident self that you need and to, to push forward. I do want to talk through some of that, those qualities that you think that you bring to the table because I want this to be tactical and I want the women listening to this to walk away with, hey, you know what, I share that characteristic with Sasha or Catherine or Emma and, or Nicole and, and I could do that too. You know, like for me, it's always been just leveraging my strength in storytelling. Okay, that's how I'm going to make the change or that's how I'm going to push forward and, and be this representation. What was it for you? Like what strength did you find in yourself that you knew to play on? that we can kind of inspire the audience with? From a raising money perspective, yeah. I think being an expert is really important. I mm -hmm. think that gives you a lot of confidence because, yeah. I mean, and I was the expert of the three of us who started Cabbage. I was the one who understood sort of the plumbing, how it all worked, mm -hmm. how we needed to structure the, the product and the organization in order to, and the partners with whom we needed to work. And that's really important. And when you are the knowledgeable person, it, give, it does give you a lot of confidence. And that's what investors are looking for on their teams is people who understand mm -hmm. exactly what they're getting into. I was really lucky. I, my parents never doubted that I was going to, they, they never set any limits. Mm. You could be whatever you want to be. My dad was really mad. I think that I wasn't a lawyer, um, <laughs> you know, but, and this is, I was born in 1970. So that was a little less common. And I also think the other great thing that I did is I went to all girls Catholic high school mm. and being a single sex education for women, I think is super valuable in many cases. And it gave me a lot of confidence. I never was afraid to, you know, raise my hand to speak freely, to, you know, express my views. And I think, mm. I think that had a lot to do with it. Mm. I think that really, to me, it kind of pulls on the environment that you put around you, right? Speaking of communities, right? You know, New York City fintech women, fintech is fam, you know, whatever it is that you fancy, both in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> join both. Uh, both are free. Um, and if you don't, you know, shape the environment around you intentionally, then the environment around you is going to shape you. And it could shape you into someone that you're not happy to become, right? I mean, so for you two, what, have we landed on some strengths? Because, come on, you got them. For me, um, you know, I'd heard stories about what it was like back in the day when there was really only one spot for a woman, like, in the room. And mm. so then women were less supportive of each other because they were essentially, like, competing directly against each other. I think we've come so far now and I love your community and, like, what you've built for, mm. the, for women and it's why I built mine as well. I feel that there is now enough room for all women and we don't need to have that mindset anymore. So the way that I've really progressed is to always be helpful to others. And, you know, it takes a lot of time. Like I do a lot of mentoring, a lot of tons of introductions, help get people jobs, yeah. but it all comes back somehow. So it's not right. wasted time. And I would just really encourage all women to do that. Yeah, that connectivity. I mean, I and I've heard from women in my, you know, audience that listen to this that sometimes they feel like they struggle with building those relationships. Like, how do you go about ensuring that the relationships and connections that you do make in the industry have that longevity and kind of stand that test of time? Because I know that can be difficult where we are so busy. There's so much happening in the world today. How do you I always, yeah. I often get this question, especially from younger women, yeah. like, what would I have to offer as a young woman mm. trying to get, you know, help from someone like Catherine? Mm. And my response is always, 
you can always add value to someone. You've just got to yes. really listen to their needs. Love that. Think about where you could, if you're very young, maybe you can be talking about Gen Z trends and, you know, so. Pop culture or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think just being very grateful for their time and generous with whatever you can give back. And then mm. it's a two-way street. And, and, and give forward. Exactly. Well. And back to leaning on that strength, right? Which I still need to hear Emma's <laughs> strength. Because if you, then that's your value, right? And I love that because I agree. I think no matter age, no matter, honestly, like no matter whatever, you can, whatever role you're in, CEO, founder, exit, VC, you can always provide value. It's such a good tip. Emma? Okay, so I feel like everyone here has given me so much good material to reference <laughs> now that it's my turn. Actually, <laughs> Catherine, I was going to say, I also went to an all-girls Presbyterian school. And so now I do think... Now I am like live rethinking Did like whether too? that make really? made an impact. Yeah. Went to an all girls school in in Sydney, Australia. So. Yeah. I kind of wish I did too. That's now. so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but really pin, pin mark that. Okay, that's <laughs> yeah. that's a thing. All right. Um, I think like the thing where I, I it does make a difference is that um, you're not self conscious about asking questions and putting a hand up, and like people aren't self conscious about being loud when it's just girls. So. I haven't really thought so far about like how it impacts like day to day these days, but I thought it was interesting that we have that in common. And I suspect that that Sasha also did as well, because we're both from Sydney and the single sex schools are really prevalent there. But I think in terms of, so like this is maybe like more of a founder thing, actually, I think there's like two things that have been really important to sort of doing this. And one is a growth mindset. I think it's like really important and like there's like a lot of stuff I've been looking at and listening to and thinking about from a growth mindset perspective, which is like, it's essentially like to me, it's a shift from like why doing something to like, why not? Mm. Why not? Why not you? Why not this? Why not change this? Like, and that's like really what entrepreneurship is all about. And people kind of like forget that with this like VC hype circle, Mm. like, oh, I just want to get in the press and like talk about a thing. But like entrepreneurship is about like doing the contrarian thing Mm. and doing the thing that no one expects. Or like, I can't tell you how many people told me when I wanted to start this company, they were like, oh my God, just stop it already. Go back and get a job in banking. Like, what? this is not going to happen. Who are these people? I know, like, and you have to kind of ignore that. Everyone. You have to. <laughs> and like, I routinely get people like I've worked with or whatever. And I, I think they mean it in a nice way these days, but it's kind of interesting that they say this to me like, oh, I didn't really expect you to be able to do this, right? So like, <laughs> that is like a very common thing I get. I get told even like still today. So I think like, that is in itself a form of confidence Mm -hmm. to be like, okay, maybe I don't know how to do something today, but I can figure it out, right? So that I think is really important for like difficult things like this where you're going to have a lot of resistance. Yeah, well, it's like, look, if you want to be good, you can follow the rules and you can follow the blueprint that has been laid out for us as women to do the corporate things or whatever. And honestly, not to, you can obviously transcend things within the system as well or build in a more entrepreneurial space. But if you want to be great, if you want to like make a name for mm-hmm. yourself, if you want to build that company and get that VC funding and do great things, like you innovate, yeah. you be different. You say, that's really cool that you're doing it that way, but I need to do it this way. And I think it's been incredible, I think, to watch even the younger generations do it sooner. It's because we have more information. It's happening faster. They're like, they're learning, you know, they have more anxiety, but they're, they're learning, you know, uh, at a faster rate. And I think, you know, I wonder, like, from your perspective, how has that been for you, I guess? Like, as a woman who's very, like, trailblazing in the space, I, you know what I mean? <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, you're amazing. Literally, like, I am not here without women like you. I know this. Like, it's, I say the same thing all the time about other women. Yeah. Who faced, like, I feel like they faced real issues. I feel like nothing that I faced <laughs> right. was really that big of a deal, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I want to get into funding strategies because obviously we need more women getting that bag in the VC space and building more companies. So what are some of the tricks and tips? Tricks is maybe not it, just tips. You had mentioned being an ultimate expert, and I do think that's one. Can we build on top of that? What other tips, especially we got VC, founder, what are some of the other things that get you through that fundraising hump? Because I hear it all the time from women how hard it is. Yeah, it's really hard. And I think... Yeah, in this environment. So I just raised around earlier this year, like right around when SVB happened. So probably one of like the worst times to raise. And it's really tough. So I think it's like tough for any founder to raise in this environment. Mm -hmm. Like VC funding is down like massively. So in general, it's not a good environment. But I think like on top of that, there is also certain things to being a woman that makes it worse. And so like, I kind of want to call out like, I think there are two kinds of sort of major biases that we face that I think is like really good to talk about in this group because we've got like kind of different people around the table for this. One is institutional in the sense that VCs are kind of, and this is a well-documented and well-acknowledged effect where there is a preference for and like kind of a historical bias effect when people look at founders, particularly in the early stage and you know, if you're a repeat founder, you get better valuations and you get more money. But that inherently really hurts women because historically there haven't been that many women founders. So by definition, you're pretty much almost always going to be a first-time founder. So you're always on the back foot because of this bias. And that's where a lot of the money is going, especially in this kind of environment where people are more risk-off. The other thing I think is unconscious bias, which is that you may do something, but because you're a woman, you're perceived differently for it. So I think that can take the form of like discounting or just like in something which is like could go either way, you are sort of looked at more negatively. Like, honestly, I don't know like if there is like a fix for all of these things, but there is all the usual things you have to do as a founder in order to get funding, which is like you have to really pound the pavement you have to be really nimble with your story. It is like story, 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 story. And there's all these other kind of different kind of tips and tricks you can employ. But I do think there is a thing which I found like particularly annoying. And I don't know if like people around here, around this sort of like podcast will have things about this. But I had a lot of people tell me like, oh, it must be easier for you to raise because you're a woman. Because there's all this like initiatives now where, you know, people want to, like, give money to women founders. And, like, I mean, I don't know. Like, that's kind of horseshit. Like, I mean, I, it's like, what I never, universe are they on? Yeah, I don't know what universe <laughs> Because being a woman are. has been the, co- the, the winning <laughs> combination of woman founder to, to gain funding. Yeah, and I, I hear what you're saying. Like, yeah. in the VC community, there's a, a lot of, like, we want to back more female founders, yeah. but we just can't find them. And I think that goes back to what Emma was saying about unconscious bias. And if they see a female founder, then maybe unconsciously they'll be looking at them differently versus a male founder doing pretty much exactly the same thing. So one of the stats that I read recently in a Harvard Business Review article called The Other Diversity Dividend is that VC firms that have increased the number of female partners by 10% are 
saw 1.5% spike in annual returns and 9.7% more profitable exits. So this is very impressive considering that only 28.8% of all VC investments end in a profitable exit. And Catherine is an amazing example of that, having sold cabbage to American Express. I mean, Queen. I'm like, round of applause, just like. (laughs) So I kind of want to say something controversial. I would love that. Okay. I do think that women tend to be more risk averse. And as a result, I don't know that women are comfortable pitching up really big ideas, something that's going to be huge. And I think the problem is so many investors are looking for a huge idea. They want a big outcome and a big exit. And so I think that confidence, women need confidence to to believe that they can actually do something really big. And I think women tend to think in a little, in a smaller scale. And not because we suck or dumb or anything. Of it was just that like we want to have kids too. And we want to like take mm. care of our moms when they're sick. And, you know, there's a million things that we want to do. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's a really daunting thing. My husband's been the at-home parent. We've been married for 31 years. He's been the at-home parent for 23 of them. And I couldn't have done it without that. Mm. Like zero chance. No, 100%. And even on my side, you know, I, I recently got engaged and, and my fiance is absolutely incredible. He's here today outside and, and I could never do this without him. You know, as an entrepreneur myself, as someone building a you know a two year old startup, I I don't even know how people do it by yourself. Those women out there doing it by yourselves with the kids and the and the everything and managing the whole household. Like he cooks and he does the, the he makes sure the house is in order and he makes sure that we take time to hang out with our friends and do the things because I'm so deep in here and and we don't ask for help either. Yeah, we're oh, not good at mm. that. Oh my gosh, and that's why the community element is so important because we have to say that we need help. It. it was there ever a moment for you when you were building Cabbage that you were like, okay, I absolutely, or did you kind of know right away because you had such a great foundational support with your husband? I think it was fine. I, it was yeah. fine for me because it, it was also my my sixth startup. So mm-hmm. it wasn't, I, we'd already right. kind of trailed, been down the trail. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I want to talk about, you know, how we can get more women to think about these bigger ideas because you're absolutely right. You know, women are thinking a little bit differently in terms of, more holistically about their lives, right? I want to have kids one day. I want to be able to, you know, have the family and 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 have a life outside of just work and you know not be on that that deep hustle culture that is so toxic. So, how can but how can we get more women to build in these bigger ideas and and frankly, I want to talk about the B2B space because I know that's where some VC interest is. Yes. Yeah. Um, talk us through that. Yeah, so at Fin Capital, we only invest in B2B fintech. I have only worked at B2B fintech companies, Covo Plaid, Ramp, and Pinwheel. I've seen a lot of consumer companies and they haven't potentially done as well. And so I'm a big fan of B2B. It's why I joined Fin Capital. I recently did an event with Barclays in London. The topic was how to get VC conviction as a female founder. And one of the main things I said was, if you want to get funding, do what the investors want to back. Don't mm-hmm. do a consumer lending business in this environment. When I spoke to a lot of the women in the audience after that event, a lot of them were direct to consumer fintech and since have reached out saying I've pivoted my go-to-market strategy, so now I'm B2B. And mm. I think that if we have more women doing that, then we'll have more women that have venture funding. Can you give us an example of how that just a, a tweak in the business model can Anyone in particular you're able to share? Yeah. So there was a woman that has a 
startup in the democratization of fixed income. And I recently invested in a company called Open Yield here in the US that is similar in the similar realm. And so when I met her and she's based in the UK, it's a different market, I thought, hey, this could be potentially good investment. She was direct to consumer at the time. And I gave her you know, my thoughts on like how she can get VC funding. And what she's now done is pivoted the product so that it can be white labeled and put into any of the existing UK fintech apps, whether that's Monzo, Revolut, all of the investing apps over there that are equivalent to Stash, eToro, et cetera. Mm. I mean, it, it makes me think like, Emma, from a founder's perspective, you know, how are you thinking about that in terms of change? Because like, I think there's something to, you know, you want to stick with your mission and you want to stick with, mm-hmm. you know, this thing you've created and the and the thing that you want to be, continue to be so passionate, you know, about the problem. And But how do you go about maybe like, oh, but I got to make these tweaks as the environment changes? Yeah, so I think this whole B2B versus B2C thing is really, really interesting because I, like, so similar to Sasha, I always came from a B2B background. And actually, in fact, I came from an enterprise background. So, for example, in investment banking, I did structured credit and leverage finance where you are really providing finance to, like, the largest companies and the sales cycle is really long, et cetera. I think like this consumer focus actually permeates not just fintech, but all kind of like startup areas for women. And they kind of get basically boxed into it. And it it is a question. I actually think it's a reflective of an access issue because for enterprise and for a lot of B2B, you like it's not considered sexy, but that's also because it's not very accessible to people. And so people don't know about it. And it's like kind of these like gate kept communities and it's kind of a bit exclusive. And so if you don't know about it, how can you innovate there? And then the really big catch is that the business model is very different. And, And I think like all founders should be thinking about like all times, like the business model and how their company gets to profitability and independence, right? Like you can't live on this like VC funding thing Mm -hmm. forever. And the big difference with consumer businesses and there is a disproportionate amount of interest in the early stage from both VCs historically, like maybe not now because of all the stuff that's happening in the stock market, but historically there was a lot of interest because people were attracted to like consumer businesses have this thing where initially they're really they're like what I call fast momentum businesses. You can achieve a lot of like initial momentum very quickly. And to me, that is a trade-off because that just kind of basically means that you essentially are able to, there's low barriers to entry in that business. Therefore, the problem down the track is that it may be easy for you to get started, but it is also easy for other people to get started. So you're essentially operating in an extremely competitive environment. Mm-hmm. And so the quality and the defensibility of your revenues is hard to maintain over time. And you will get lower multiples and lower valuations and less funding as a result. That's why it's less popular mm-hmm. with investors. The inverse is true with B2B. And the more B2B and more enterprise you get, the harder it is to get going. The sales cycles are much longer. The ACVs are much higher. And so it was difficult, for example, for us, we're very enterprise. We sell to uh, some of the largest asset managers in the world. Is because you look kind of slow in the beginning. Like you're not really adding that many customers and all of that. But 
What that translates to is actually from a business model perspective, there are really high barriers to entry in your sector. And as a result, the revenues you do end up generating are extremely sticky. And then once you're in, there is a point at which you will hit inflection and then the hockey stick is actually sharper than it would be in a consumer business. And so, and you will attract much higher. And it, it's not as like one or two times, like multiple different, it is like a 20, 30 times kind of multiple difference for these kind of businesses. So going back to the funding issue, right? If you're a woman and you're disadvantaged in the funding thing and you're operating in a highly competitive sector, the people who are going to win are the people who raise the most money. So you're just kind of like doubling down on this effect and it's essentially becoming like a self-fulfilling prophecy for success there. I have a question for you about that particular topic because I'm living this right now and (laughs) with a B2B enterprise sales model, which is not an area where I have experience directly, but it's founder-led sales. Founder-led sales is the way that you get started. It's mm-hmm. the way that, you know, you have those first conversations. I I hate it. It's not <laughs> you know, something that I, I can pitch, I'll pitch all day long, but I do not like to sell. And so I'm wondering <laughs> if that's a, if, if women are maybe less comfortable doing that than men. I, I was just curious what y'all thought about that. Well, I love mm. to sell. Me too. <laughs> Me too. We both have sales background, but it's not like you start off like that, right? Mm. Like I was like a really shy kid. I started selling when I was like 10. My mm-hmm. dad like forced me. It was like a family business. You have to work <laughs> there. You, you got to do it, right? So I think the thing is, so two things, like sales is a skill and it can be, I think like salespeople get this bad rep, like, oh, you're just like shilling and like you're kind of like not very ethical and like, you know, but I think the thing you have to remember is like an interaction where, you know, you, the most successful people are not like these super gregarious, I don't know what people think, but like, I feel like they think of some like frat star type yeah, of guy. Right. I think that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like the best salespeople actually are like really good at interactions with, the, and they're really good listeners because you are essentially trying to convince someone to do something. But like the best sales are like where there is an equal or like mutually beneficial exchange of value. And then in a B2B context, I think that's even better because we're not really in a transactional environment. Because the ACVs are so long and they take much longer to close, that like to me turns it from a sales interaction to a relationship interaction. So for us, like for me and then everybody who works in the company and the way we think about our relationship with the client. I mean, like, I don't even think it's like a sales thing. It's like a full-on relationship mm-hmm. and we expect it to last many, many years. And that frankly gives you defensibility, mm-hmm. right? That, that's one of your moats right. because, well, yeah. you know. And it gets you out of scarcity mindset too when you know you have that support and you have that uh, relationship, right? This person is going to back me. You know, they're yes. going to be there for me. And I think, I actually kind of think women are like, Actually, what, the really best well-equipped to be yeah. salespeople because yeah. of, you know, and I technically I don't, I haven't been in sales, but I have been, I do like, I have to work with my sponsors and the people that, you know, help make this all possible, make the podcast possible. You know, I, it is a full-on relationship. I have to make, they fall in love with me first before anything else, right? Yes. Yes. All right. Well, with just a couple minutes left, I did want to ask you, Catherine, actually, just because I feel like my audience definitely, and I want to know. So you... We mentioned before you had the remarkable exit with Cabbage, selling it to American Express. 
maybe just briefly distill what that most valuable lesson learned from that experience for the other founders and investors really looking to have that similar level of success? It's an interesting question just because of the circumstances around that transaction. Because we were building more products. Going into the pandemic, we were building products. We were playing. We were growing. We were doing lots of things. And then when the pandemic started, we, you know, we're doing small business financial services. We were like, well, we might go out of business. Right. There's a pretty good chance we're going to zero. And we were pretty big at that time. So, so we were kind of stressed out. And it turned out to be really great for us. But it was a really stressful situation. And when we started talking to American Express, we did not think anything was going to happen. Um, we're like, they're never going to buy this company. <laughs> it's never going to go anywhere. Okay. And then it kept getting closer and closer. And I was really sad about it because I didn't want to, you know, it's like a child. And I, I remember I sat there the day of the transaction, the day that we closed. I was in the office by myself because I went to the office during the pandemic because I don't like to work at home. <laughs> and I just sat in a chair and I cried for an hour. Because I was so sad, I didn't. But then, in retrospect, and this is the important part, in retrospect, it was the right thing to do. It was a great thing to do. We started the company in two thousand and eight. I mean, there was a lot that we could do, but you know, it was a great home for the people that we had. There's so many of the people that were with us when we sold are still there, mm-hmm. and they're changing and transforming the way American Express operates internally, and it's a really exciting thing. So. You know, you think that you're never going to see these people again. Your children are going to move away from home and, you know, you're never going to talk to them again. (laughs) But it's not like that at all. And in fact, they go on to do really great things. And I find a lot of joy and pride in that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the biggest takeaway for me with that story is just being okay with the let go. Right. If you got to sit and cry in the chair for an hour, then sit and cry in the chair for an hour. You know, it's you're going to go through at the end of the day as builders. Right. We become so attached to and I there's a lot of people that are like, oh, don't let it, you know. Fintech is Femme is not you. And I'm like, I don't know. It kind of is. Like, it, <laughs> it's literally me. Like, hi, I'm Purple Suit. Like, I don't know what else to, it's, and in, not in a way that's like, I'm so obsessed with my work. I kind of am into it, almost to a fault. But like, it's, it is like a child. It is like a baby. You, it was, you put your whole heart and energy into this and you should be able to feel all the things. And we shouldn't have to feel like we can't do that. I, so many learning lessons. We have run out of time, but to close us out, I do want to hear from each of you. I ask all my podcast guests this. If we need to be the change that we want to see, what change do you want to see in fintech and how do you embody it? Sasha, I want to start. So I think one of the ways we can make the biggest change is if we have male allies and sponsors supporting yes. us. Yes. When yes. I started Fintech Women, I never wanted it to be a bunch of women complaining in the corner because I don't yes. think that's helpful. But I've seen firsthand if a male sponsor is in a meeting and lets a woman speak or says something good about them when they're not in the room, it can be very instrumental. And so I would just love to encourage all of the male sponsors and allies out there to keep doing what you're doing and and hopefully more men will follow suit. 100%. We need everyone. And when and this is for everyone, right? It's like by women for everyone, literally. Emma. Actually, like riffing from what something Sasha said earlier about like making more connections, I feel like one of the things that I've tried to do a lot and I try to continue to do even when things are getting busy and busier, like inside the company is to connect with other people outside, like peers, other founders, etc. And sort of like ask them what they think, ask them, you know, about like what they're doing. And then a lot of people like a lot of guys because like there just aren't that many other women founders and like I work in you know finance and then 
Alexa comes from Alexa. Alexa is my co-founder from technology, and like it's very male-dominated. So it's just like there just weren't really like that many other women around. Like you, you, you got to make those connections, and you got to reach out and like figure out the things that you need. And then when time comes, like I take these calls all the time now. Like when other people like ask for help and they want to know how you did it and like what the experience was like, I don't get keep like、mm-hmm. you know. Every founder friend that I have and that asks me, like we talk numbers, we talk terms, like everything,、mm-hmm. like nothing is off limits. So, so I think like the connection piece is really important. I mean, you gave us a whole playbook on <laughs> on the B to B. I mean, I I need to re-listen, write down, take notes. I hope everyone. I'm glad we got this on record. All right, Catherine, take us home. I'm going to echo something that I mentioned earlier around mission because I, I do think that fintech has an unusual ability to change lives, change people's lives, all、Absolutely. the people's lives, all around the world.、Mm-hmm. And I would like to see more of that stated、uh, by every single fintech that's there. Everyone can measure the value and the benefit that you bring to the rest of the world, to all the people. And I could probably look at almost every company out here and tell them what that value is and how they're helping make the world a better place with fintech. But they're not talking about it, right? So that's the change that I would like to see. Ooh, wow! Speak in my、that. language. I hope you subscribe to FinTech is Fem if you haven't already, Catherine, because I I feel like we were very aligned there.、Um, thank you so much, Sasha, Emma, Catherine, for joining me. This has been such a pleasure. Live at Money 2020, we are closing it out. For me, I believe women are the key to unlocking a better financial future for the world. Thank you to each of you for the role that you play in that. I'm so excited to keep seeing you soar and keep changing the. Fucking game! Let's do it. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. Hey. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating, as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too.